I'm Susan with Mommy High Five, and this is Inspiring Moms Podcast. Our guest today is Ashley Boyson. She is a wife, a mother of seven. She's an author of three books, and she's an advocate for families who have been affected by murder and by infidelity. Ashley has a pretty unbelievable story, and we're so glad that she has agreed to come on our show today. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. I'm hoping you can just give us a synopsis of your story because I know that you can tell it better than I can for sure. Yeah. um, So 12 years ago, on March 11th of 2011, um, it was just kind of one of those normal days really for me, but something fell off for a while. Long story short, I ended up on a Friday evening sitting across from detectives telling me a story about my husband having an affair and being caught by the other man. And um, the other man had brought a gun. So the husband of the mistress had brought a gun and my husband was shot once in the forehead and once in the heart. And so he died in her arms and it was kind of just one of those you never think it's going to happen to you. You see stuff on the news. You don't think twice about it, but then you're there and it's like the whole world just stops. So at the time you had five children, correct? Yes. And they were all really little. Yeah. The twins were in kindergarten down to newborn. So tell me a little bit about um, those first few days after how you felt, how you reacted, what you remember, or is it all just kind of a blur? Um, Like the moment they described what all had happened, it was kind of one of those, you know, they talk about the waves of grief. It was like all the waves just kind of came at me. There was a sense of relief. Like I wasn't crazy. Something was really wrong. He was actually cheating on me. But the relief was always replaced really instantly by, I mean, feelings of shame for even feeling that, you know, but also just, I guess, total despair that this was now going to be my children's story. They were going to wake up the next morning and their dad was not only not ever going to come back, but he had basically, I, I, they would see it. I knew in their life, they would see it as they abandoned him. They chose another woman over them. And that's how I felt that night, just sitting there thinking about, he chose her. He could have been home fighting for me. I begged him that night to stay home and and figure out what was going on and why I felt so off. And instead he chose her and that, that was our reality. Your story has made headlines around the world. Um, You've been on all sorts of news shows and talk shows and I remember when I very first heard about your story and I thought about uh, what what this must have been like for you. What an absolute shock uh, to get all of this news at the same time, all of this hitting you at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the steps that you have taken to, to cope and move forward? Oh, let's see. I think the biggest step for me was owning this story, 
which sounds totally cliche and people say it all the time, but I tried for a long time to hide from my story because I thought that it would make the pain feel less vulnerable or exposed, but really it just, it was like I had to almost live a lie and just shove those feelings back down. So owning the story for me was actually for the first time saying it out loud, like the full story, which most people don't get to do that with Keith Morrison. But that was the first time I sat across from him and he cried with me for three hours. And I just owned the story like a girl who wasn't ashamed. And that was really big for me. And then later feeling like I should write the blog. And and it wasn't like I was going to tell a murder story. It was like, I'm going to bear my soul. And from the depths of my heart, give my vulnerability of how it felt in those moments. And, and that's not always everybody's answer of owning their story. But for me, that was a big turning point of me saying, Hey, look at me, here's my blood, here's my pain. And I'm still me. And it doesn't take away every good thing that I'm going to continue to do. Tell me about um, grieving in such a public eye. I mean, you First of all, this this was making headlines all over the place, and then you had a murder trial, and all the while you're you're trying to parent these five tiny kids. How do you feel like being in the public spotlight affected your healing? I think for me, it kind of held me back because I felt like I was in a fishbowl, like it kept me from being genuine because when, even when I was at church or somewhere in public, I knew people were watching me. It wasn't just a hallucination. Like a lot of times we're like, Oh, people are watching. Cause I'm going through this hard thing. Like everybody knew everywhere I went, mm-hmm. they knew every detail. So it wasn't, it wasn't a perceived everybody's watching. It was a fact. Everybody's watching. So you break down, they're going to be like, Oh, yep. No wonder you show up with no makeup on, they're going to be like, Oh no wonder why he cheated on you. And in my head, it was like, I always played on worrying about what everybody else was watching me do through my healing process. So how have you gotten past that? Um, I think the biggest thing, like I said, was just as I started feeling inspired to say yes to people as they came asking how it felt, I just kind of got thrown into the, you can't read the comments. You can't go back and worry about if you said the right thing, you just show up as yourself. And a lot of people don't like that, but that's not any different being on Dateline or Dr. Phil as it is in our real lives. A lot of people aren't going to like us. We're going to show up real and vulnerable in the smallest roles we play and people aren't going to like it. And so it just kind of, I guess I just started growing a sense of myself that I really didn't need to worry about how other people looked. Go ahead. I really didn't need to look at how other people looked at me as long as I knew that I was in good standing with me and God. And I just kept moving forward. So it was kind of like, you know how the way to push past fear is to like go through it. It was one of those experiences for me. Just as you do this, you're going to get more, not, I wouldn't say calloused, but just more mature in your thinking And you're not needing other people for you to be able to show up how you need to show up. That's great. I think that's something that we probably all could use a lot more of. Tell me, um, I, I've thought a lot about what your kids must have experienced and probably still are experiencing. Um, trauma as a child is a hard thing. 
when I was 12 years old, my family was in a horrific car accident and I was sitting next to my 12 month old sister who had started crying. So I took her out of her car seat and within seconds we hydroplaned and rolled and she died as a result. And that for me was a lot of guilt and a lot of pain and a whole lot of regret. And I, I just wonder what, if, if you're comfortable telling us a little bit about the healing process for your kids and how you helped them through that. Um, to be honest, I feel like I at first thought my role was to help them just forget it and move on from it. And so part of our healing has been realizing that I was doing that wrong and helping them be able to own their story is part of that is talking about it and, and being okay with it, but being okay as a mom with it, for me, it was like, we're going to only talk about what I'm safe and comfortable with. But, but now I know that I have to be okay talking about even the things that I don't feel safe and comfortable talking with about them with. So, um, really just allowing them to show up in the anger if they need to be angry and sad if they need to be sad. And for them, as little, little children, it was easy in that role that I asked them to play where we just shove it under the rug and we move forward and we forget all about it. But it comes out either way. So either you, you start talking about it. I wish I would have started talking about it and allow them to feel even angry and all the, all the uncomfortable emotions that us parents are like, no, let me fix this for you. Let's do something to, to cover this up so you don't have to feel it. But that's not how we heal. So it's become more of a healing process as I became more comfortable being uncomfortable and letting my kids be where they need to be. And it, it came out sideways for a while. I had a daughter with an eating disorder and we've had different struggles come up that I know are related to that trauma. Mm -hmm. And we can say, Oh, it's just a generational thing or it's this or this, but it, it was a trauma that wasn't resolved and didn't, and didn't get the full healing. So now going back, we've just really gotten to a place where we trust each other and we are vulnerable and we share the real things. And I have my kids write their story and we do lots of writing or just different ways to get it out. So it's not just stuck inside and mom's trying to cover it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, play it small. So I don't have to worry about how it feels for her. That's great. I think we all definitely need to do a lot more talking. That's fantastic. Uh, your oldest twins are about to graduate from high school. Is that right? Yes. What are you hoping they will take from what you've taught them and, and take into the world as they move on into their adult lives? Hmm. My biggest goal for all of my kids is to not only find and remember their worth, but to show up knowing that they're worthy of greatness. They're worried. They're worthy of a great partner. They're worthy of amazing people around them. And just hoping that they take everything that I've tried to teach them. And I've tried to be a good example of climbing out of that pit of unworthiness and inadequacy and I guess just, you know, feeling insignificant at times. And hopefully I've empowered them with tools so that they can show up and find relationships where they know that they're worthy of greatness and kindness and all the things that when you're feeling insignificant, you don't find. That's great. 
How did you get to the point uh, where you felt like you had found your worth? Because I, I'm sure after all of this was shaking out that you didn't feel like you were worth much uh, with what happened with your husband. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think especially women, but I know men have felt this way too. We, I don't know, we look at stories and situations that happen to us and we almost try to take on the blame. Like, oh, if I would have been better at this, if I would have been a better mom, my kid wouldn't have gotten in trouble at school. If I would have been this, if I would have, for me personally, if I would have been a better wife, obviously I wouldn't have been cheated on. If I would have been more beautiful, if I would have been more skinny. And we try to find the answer inside of ourselves, which I think is really important to try to say, what role did I play and how can I become better? But in these moments, sometimes we take on things for other people that we don't have to take on. And that's where our worth starts to evaporate. We're like, oh, I just feel smaller and smaller as I'm taking a whore, someone's mean to me at the store and I take that on if I would have been something, you know, and it just starts to wear on you and then you don't show up as worthy. And I think for me, it started at the murder trial. I remember walking in as they were announcing the verdict and the entire month I had spent just feeling like I was the only one picked on. I was isolated in this place where I didn't want to be. And I had all these horrible people that had crashed this explosion in my life. And so I walked in that room like, okay, this is going to be the justice I'm, I'm worthy of. Finally, someone's going to stand up and say he's going to jail and I'm going to feel better. And in that moment, I just saw everybody in the room because I had walked in, they brought me in kind of late and I could see the whole picture, which I hadn't seen the entire month. And I looked over and this mom is bursting into tears because her son's going to jail. And on my side of the courtroom that I stayed nestled in, nestled in, is another mom whose son is, who got killed and is never going to get him back. And it was supposed to be this moment that I thought was going to be, okay, Ashley, you can have your worth back. Here you go. And it was more like, okay, Ashley, look around you. You are not the only one in this story that is hurting. Which at first broke me for a while because I'm like, oh, great. There's more people who feel like SH all the time. This is not going to help me at all. But it helped me just start looking around. And I remember later that week, my mom had gone back home and I was like back to real life and grocery shopping. And it happened again. I saw this woman and I felt instantly like, you need to stop and help that lady. And I, I resisted and resisted and finally walked up to her with a $100 bill and went to hand it to her. And she had that fog that I feel worthless. I feel lost. I feel like I'm not seen by anyone, maybe even God. And I saw this look on her face and I'm like, I know that look. I know that look. And I burst into tears and told her I felt like I was supposed to give her this money. And she's like, I have $13 in my bank account, but how would you know that? And this is a long story, but the point is I gave her a hug. I have no idea who she is, but I felt different, but not because someone came and told me I was great or some guy came and told me he would love me if I was X, Y, Z, but because I got to be something for someone else. And you just start finding your worth by showing up and being what your kids need in the moment that they need it. And the, a hard time that you just do the right thing. And you're like, finally, I didn't suck at parenting. Like I did this right. And I listened to this inspiration that my kid needed and it actually resolved the problem instead of causing more problems. So just looking for moments where you get to be 
God's hands, you know, or you get to be what someone needs. That's where I started to feel my worth shining through. But I had looked for it in all the wrong places. So I kind of knew how different it felt when I found it in the right places. I love that. I love that looking, looking for other people who, who need some help. And that, that helps us to find our worth. That's great. What have you learned about forgiveness and letting go? Oh, forgiveness for me, I just always for a long time, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, you get in a little tuffle and on the playground and the, the playground lady comes and says, you say sorry. And they're like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And then you hold hands and you're best friends again. That was kind of like all my experience with forgiveness, at least all I really remember. And I'm pretty easy to forgive. Like once we're over it, we're over it and we move on and we have fun. So through this experience, I, um, I kind of longed for that. I just longed for someone to come. You know what, Ashley, I'm so sorry. I see you. I see that I hurt you. And I'm like, I could have moved on. So for a long time, I just held on to that need for those three in my story to come and say, I am so sorry. I'm going to do this different. I should have done this different. Let's move on. And um, that never came. And honestly, I think I held on to it literally until Dr. Phil put the other woman on the stage with me. And even then I was like, here she is. She could save me from this pain, from this deep, dark aching that I always have. She could say the right words that are going to change everything. And she didn't. But a month later, after just kind of living in the fog again and feeling very out of my own body, I just realized like, I don't need her. I really don't. I don't need her permission. I don't need I mean, Emmett's gone. He'd been killed and the other guy was in jail and he didn't seem to have anything to offer me. But I I have me, I have God. And together, forgiveness is about my relationship with him and trusting him and having faith in him that he's going to carry me through whatever pain other people bring into my life. I I just love how uh, positive you are with all of all of this hard negativity, and I'm sure it hasn't always been that way. But can you share with us a little bit about um, your books, about the um, work that you've been doing, the courses you have to help to help people who are in a similar situation? Yes. Um, so many years after, well, I guess it was like a year after my blog came out, I just had thousands of people emailing me all the time. Like, I don't have the same story, but let me tell you my story. And I feel like we need to be friends because I I understand that pain you're talking about. So I started a a nonprofit called A Reason to Stand. And it was events that we would do and bring people together and just be able to look into people's eyes and hug them and just feel their strength. Um, And I haven't done any of those since COVID. And I had two babies during that time. Someday that might come back. I When I get inspired to feel... Like that's time. Um, But right now I just have kind of condensed that and created courses, one for widows, one for people who have gone through infidelity. And then a parenting through trauma course is the next one that that just came out. Um, And my daughter and I are going to be working on one for mothers, well, parents and children who are going through eating disorders. So just kind of truths and ideas to work through trauma. And obviously I'm not a counselor, but just the life lessons that I've learned and through my education 
anyways, so that's kind of those. Um, then my, my book series is basically my journal from the moment I sat on the couch with the detectives. The first one goes through like the first month, just kind of the deep water of meeting with detectives and learning about the affair and learning more details about the murder and, and then just on from there. And then the third one is my journey through the murder trial and showing up every day and different highs and lows of going through that experience. And it's called In Chains. And it's, it's about a girl who shows up looking at a man who sits on a stand every day in chains and realizing that she also carried some pretty heavy chains that she had to let go of. Great. Yeah. So my website. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, and my website is themomentsweestand.com. And my books are the same title with different, each series has a different name. So The Moments We Stand um, in Chains is the newest one. Tell me um, the significance of The Moments We Stand. Why did you choose that? So I had originally started my blog with, it was literally just an inspiration one weekend. It was like, this is what you're doing. And I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And every time I, I got inspiration, it was these words, like, I need you to be a voice to some of my children who are hurting. And I knew it was like a, an inspiration from God that I wasn't willing to accept for a minute. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't. I literally called news stations and told them to take our pictures off. Like, I don't want anything to do with this story. And the more it, I felt pushed to do it, the more peace I got. But I kind of went in going, you know what? Fine. Heavenly Father, you want me to tell this story? And I just hacked on my computer all the anger and all the stories of late night taps on my shoulders of children so scared they couldn't sleep and four-year-olds that weren't even children anymore. Like, I just wanted to just share the hate if that's what you wanted me to do. And at one point, my computer just totally shut down. And at that time, I was like just writing on my blog straight to the blog. I didn't realize you could do it in like a word doc and then copy and paste. So it always auto saved. And any, you know, so I went in and, um, I went logged back in and there on my blog is this blank page. And I was like, okay. And it was one of those moments where, you know, heavenly father looks at you and he's like, you want to try that again? And that's how I felt. It was like, Hey, okay. You got out the hate, which is important. You have to acknowledge the the anger. You have to acknowledge all the emotions that are coming. But now I want you to remember all the times that you got back up. And it just kind of came to me. It, the moments we stand, these are the, these are not the moments that you were drowning and that you were, that you were broken. They were moments that you got back up. And I want you to write about that. I want you to write about the light. I want you to write about the grace and I want you to focus on your strength. And at that time, I didn't feel like I had any. So it was like, <laughs> what strength. And I would go back through my journals and remember a story that I was like, Oh my gosh, all I saw that day was the dark, but look at all these amazing things that happened to like pull you out of the dark each time. So tell me as you are, as you're writing all of this, as you are having all of these people start following you, which I'll, you've got what, over a million people who have read your blog Tell me what the most rewarding thing has been for you, even though you've been going through all of this tragedy and heartache. 
the most rewarding thing about like my blog and everything? Yes. Just about your journey oh, in general. You know, so the first thing that came to my mind when you said that I've had probably 30 men email me. Like it's usually women that are going, Oh, you know what? This happened to me. And so many of them have said, I was that other man and I had the gun in my hand mm -hmm. and I was going to break in the house and your face, your raspy voice popped in my head. And all I could picture was watching you on Dateline and knowing that I don't want that for my family. And I went in with words, but I didn't take that gun, but it was because of you. And I know that that's part of the reason why I have a creator who was willing to sacrifice my fear of being vulnerable because he has other people who are hurting. He has all these children who are going through hard things. And those have been probably the most rewarding for me, knowing that there's a, there's another wife on the other side of that and children on the other side of that who were spared living the hell that we lived because of one person's choice to use words instead of a gun. And that, probably seems really minor, but for me, it's so big because I never want anybody to be where we were or to feel that pain that we felt. That's huge. And, uh, you being willing to share your story is bringing so many people hope and peace and giving people courage to keep going, even when they're in a hard situation. I really applaud you and your kids for for your courage and your willingness to be vulnerable like this. Thank you. Um, it's not all been rosy for you. I know it, I think maybe some of us would assume that once the murder trial is done, you just move on with your life. But I know that you had a lot of ups and downs even after that. Um, but now you're in a place where you're, you're married again and you have two more children can you talk a little bit about what life is like now for you? Yes. I'm married to my favorite person I've ever met. Um, he's just like this steady, bright light in our lives. And he's given us a safe place to be able to heal. For a, Up until meeting him, I feel like we were just kind of in that, we got we to gotta shove this down. And then he came and was like, hey, I want to hear about everything. I want to hear about your dad. Let's go to his grave. And he's just allowed my kids to know that they can have both, which is really important as a step parent of, of kids who have passed away, just being there for them wherever they need to be. But also he's just, he's just brought like a lot of fun and we've had these two babies. And I think I always thought like having teenagers and babies at the same time would be crazy, but it's actually been such a gift to watch my big kids come and get on their level and be on the floor and no, I get to hold the baby. It just, I, they brought this little glimmer of light that I didn't even realize could be so possible and brought out this love that my kids are so amazing. Like no matter what they've been through, they just show up with love. They're loving to people on the streets. They're loving to, but it's, it's brought that level of empathy and love even higher as they watch this little, these little baby girls and just, adore them. That's great. I, I love it when teens have young siblings. It, it really just changes, changes some of those teenage personalities and yes. tendencies. Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to the place where you could 
trust a man again and um and and give your heart away again yeah you know with with scott i think the most important thing that i got to was trusting myself because until you really know who you are and appreciate who you are and see yourself you're most lot not you're most likely not going to attract someone who's going to do the same. And that's kind of the pattern I was stuck in. And as I went through my blog and just finding this, this strength in myself and actually appreciating it, because you see it, you see it pop up when you're feeling really insecure and things, but you just kind of shove it back down. But like in the way that I felt like I could just let it shine, I felt like I healed that cycle and then found someone that is so different than anybody I'd ever dated or married before. But it was because I had, I had found my, my significance. I had, I'd healed that part where I'm like, I'm broken and I need someone to come fix this. Cause you'll find somebody who will fix it, who will try. They'll never do it because it's not their job. Our job is to find how to fix those broken things so we can be, who we need to be, regardless of who comes to be part of that. That's great. I think that's uh, a part that we don't often talk about in our society of, of accepting ourselves and being the person that we want to be before we find somebody else that can complete us. Can you tell me about other people who have helped you on this journey? Um, let's see. I, I mean, I would say my children probably the most, they've just been the steady in my life and having a little infant as that all went down. He was the reason I got out of bed because he literally couldn't even do anything for himself. So they would probably be my number one. Um, my family just loving me wherever I was and accepting me and just other brave people who are willing to share their stories and vulnerability and, um, and who have opened up to me to help me not feel so alone. How did you navigate those first few months and, and years when um, you had been a stay-at-home mom and then suddenly here you are a widow with five little kids? How did you... How did you navigate that financially? How did you navigate that emotionally? Um, how did how did that look for you? Well, financially, things just kind of fell into place and I was able to still take care of my children. I would say emotionally was the biggest challenge for me. Um, it's really hard to grieve when you've got so many people also grieving and needing you. And that balance is hard because if you wait till you feel like you're whole, then you're, you're just kind of leaving your kids out to fend for themselves, which isn't mm -hmm. an op that wasn't an option for me. So we just kind of took every day at a time. And some days I really didn't do that great. And I was really selfish with my healing, but other days I felt like I was exactly what my kids needed, but we were just really patient with each other and helped each other navigate it. I tried to get them to counseling appointments and be there in the ways that I could be there. You talked about how uh, you talked with your kids and talked through a lot of this. How much of it did they know in the beginning and how much, I'm assuming they know pretty much everything now that they're older? 
Yeah, part of their healing is wanting more information as they've gotten older. And I always say, as age appropriate, truth is the best option. If they're asking for truth, they're ready for truth. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I did. When I first told them about the murder, it was just there was a man with a gun, there's been an accident, and your dad has died because they were almost six down to babies. Mm -hmm. But as they came, like going back to school, everything's on the news, kids knew stuff. They'd come home with like, hey, did this really happen? And I decided from the beginning, I will never lie to them because that is stifling their healing. If they always feel like something's not right, something's not right, and later it's revealed, then I'm the liar. And lies were what got us there. So I just decided from the beginning, I will not be part of the lies. I will bring truth because that's what I would expect and want in my own life. And that's what I wanted with the murder trial. And that's what I wanted every time I gave the detectives a laptop or signed over the truck or anything. I just wanted truth because truth will set us free, right? It'll help us heal. So that was the kind of mom, that was one thing I did, I would say perfectly. I never once withheld something that I knew could be part of their healing, even when it was hard to say, even when it's embarrassing that he was cheating on me. It's something that they needed to be able to let go of this nagging feeling that something wasn't right or missing. I really like that. Um, I think sometimes we try to shield our kids from the truth too much when, when they need to hear whatever is age appropriate for them to hear. Totally. And your spirit doesn't calm down until truth is part of it. You know, you just constantly like, oh, it just still isn't settling. And then you get emotions, but then you shove those down. So I just, I I would always say truth is the answer, even when it hurts so bad to say it. Yes. I am so glad that you uh, were willing to take some time to talk with me today. Can you tell us um, where we can find more information about your story, where we can follow you, where we can get your books? Yes. If um, Amazon has my books, the audiobooks will start being released in the next few months. I'm working on the, the third one first since it's the newest book. Um, and that'll be on Audible. And my um, Instagram is The Moments We Stand. And same with Facebook. And then TheMomentsWeStand.com is the website for the courses. I think that's it. <laughs> is that it? Can you, um, can you just leave us with some words of advice for parents who are helping their kids through trauma? Yes. Um, when Boston was at an eating disorder facility a couple years ago, we had a parent meeting, which wasn't something they normally did, but it was COVID. And they were like, we'll just have like a zoom call. So all you parents can kind of not feel so alone. And I remember almost every single parent was like, you know what? I send her letters. She never responds. I'm just done. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. And I just kept getting this like racing heart because a lot of times the people who we feel like don't want our love or just, you know what, I'm just going to hide out in my room and we're like, okay, I'm just going to leave them alone. They're usually the ones that want it the most and probably need it Mm -hmm. the most. And that's what I said in front of all these parents. I was like, you guys don't, they, they are almost, there's sometimes where they're like testing to see if they're important, to see if they're enough, to see if they're going to be seen. And if you're the steady that goes, hey, I'm right here. I love you. You don't have to say it back. I have no expectations, but I'm going to be here loving you. And I'm going to give you boundaries because that's what a loving parent does. And I'm going to hold you accountable because that's what a loving parent does. 
but I'm going to do it with love. And you're going to know that you're loved because you're going to see exactly what it looks like and you're going to feel safe and just keep showing up like that. I think that's been the biggest thing for my children is they know that they are loved and there is never a day, even though we don't do it perfectly. And sometimes I lose it. You know, there's moments where you're like, okay, there's no other option here. But for the most part, trying to do things with love, that doesn't mean just give them what they want, which when you, when your kid goes through trauma or divorce or any of those things, sometimes our first reaction is just give them what they want. They've been through something Mm -hmm. hard. I need to make this easy. But what we're telling them is you're not strong enough to handle the hard that you're going through, which then they just feel worthless and insignificant because they don't get to show up how they used to or how they want to. So continue to give the boundaries and say no and do the things that a parent does that shows that kind of love. But even, even more love for these kids that, that act like they don't want it. And that doesn't mean you have to get over here and sit on my lap or give me a hug. It just means, Hey, you know, I'm here. Hey, bud. And send texts and anything that you can do to connect with them. Even if they don't connect back, they just want to know that you really do love them and you're going to be there. And maybe they're afraid that you're going to die too, or whatever their fear is that they keep pushing you away, but just keep bringing them in with love. That is such important advice. I think we, as parents, sometimes it's easier just to let them do their own thing. And, and I, I know you're right. When we, when we choose to stay involved and show them that we're there, that we care, then that's going to make a difference to them for sure. And when they see a sacrifice, if they know that going to the gym or whatever is the most important thing, but they ask for something, and you sacrifice and show them that's another way. Like each kid's going to have a different love language. And maybe one is when you bring them home, their favorite Doritos, whatever it is, find those ways that help them feel seen and loved and important because we want them to sacrifice. We want them to be obedient, you know, but if we can give them that same, like we show them how to, what kindness looks like. And we show them the things that we do are going to be way more powerful than the words that we say and the things that we tell them to do. They're going to watch us. Yes. What a uh, profound, profound thought. I am so impressed with your positivity and your um, willingness to just keep, keep going and helping your kids and showing the world that tragedy doesn't have to define you you can keep going and and continue to have a beautiful life regardless. So thank you again. We really appreciate you being here. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you. Thanks for joining us and join us next time on Inspiring Moms. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Inspiring Moms. If you or someone you know is interested in being featured as an inspiring mom, please contact us at inspiringmoms at mommyhighfive.com.